Hey, good morning. Um, you can blame Clark and I on the way in this morning. We were singing uh, Let It Rain. You know, we were listening to the, the, uh, uh, the, the album that came out, the Michael W. Smith album, the worship album. You guys remember that in 2002. It was actually released, believe it or not, on September the 11th, 2001. And uh, I, I found that... Uh, somewhat divinely orchestrated, right? The worship of God released on a day of, of tragedy in our nation. But uh, we were listening to that this morning, and, and lo and behold, uh, maybe we'll sing on the way home, Lord, stop the rain. I don't, we'll make up a song. Hey, uh, listen, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 16. That's where we find ourselves at. Now, let, let me go ahead and kind of, you know, give you an idea what's going on in Exodus chapter a 16, it's the, the quail and the manna, right? It's where the, the children of Israel find themselves uh, perceiving the inevitable starvation, right? And then they begin to grumble against uh, Moses and grumble against Aaron. But what the scripture identifies their grumbling being directed towards is God and that God hears it. But what God does is he shows a great deal of mercy and a great deal of grace. He extends in a supernatural manner this provision for his children while they're in the desert. Now, it's a pretty powerful story in the whole. When you read it from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter, and I would encourage you to do that, but today we're only going to be covering the first 18 verses of this account. It's because there's just too much fishy. You know what I mean? There's just too much. Too much. <laughs> and uh, we don't want to rush through it and miss things that are, that are uh, pertinent to you and I and that are going to be beneficial uh, for the most part to everyone in here, uh, especially Dwayne. You know, most of the stuff that we identify in the shortcomings will be applied to my brother Dwayne over here. And if the rest of you find it beneficial, you can apply it to yourself as well. Okay? Uh, I've, I've, look at <laughs> You can't hide in that corner over there, Dwayne. But uh, um, there, there's some really encouraging things in this scripture and some very insightful things in this scripture. Uh, to get us up to uh, speed, last week we finished up chapter 15, right? And uh, uh, it's, it's, it was where the children of Israel uh, were three days removed from the Red Sea experience. And God uh, had led them through the direction of Moses in, into Marah. And uh, when they got there, they uh, had traveled basically three days and uh, they hadn't found any water at that time. It doesn't mean that they didn't have water. We touched on that, right? Uh, three days without water, man, you know, basically you and I both would expire at that moment. So they had water. I believe what the scripture uh, is alluding to is the fact that they were consuming in those three days the water supply that they had brought out of Egypt, which we had touched on uh, the possibility of how contaminated that water was. God ends up intervening. He ends up taking a piece of wood, remember that? And he drops the wood into the water. The water is bitter. And when he drops the wood into the water, uh, it becomes uh, drinkable. And we actually talked about uh, the science behind what had probably taken place because after that, he ends up moving them on. And, uh, and when he moves them on uh, uh, he, in, into Elam, there's a place, uh, or Elam, there's a place, uh, it is a place of 12 springs and 70 palm trees. He leads them into Elam for uh, a time of refreshing is what I would find in the scripture, a time of settling there for, for a period. And um, uh, it's, it's really, really incredible when we consider that in the bitter things of life, the thing that God is doing in us sometimes cannot be perceived by the human physical eye, right? It's a spiritual work that God is doing. That's the reason the walk of faith, we're all called to a great level of trust in God when we can't explain the things that are going on in our lives. And I want you guys to take to heart when you don't understand the things that are taking place in your life does not mean that God isn't actively working in your life even in those times, right? Sometimes when we get on the other side of it, Ben, we look back and we're like, oh, I see it now. But when we're in it at times, we don't see it. And so that's where they, they were at. And we finished up uh, that uh, scripture, that chapter last week with verse 27. 
And it reads like this, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Now what we're going to be looking at today is found in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 18, okay? And this is what the scripture says. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the the desert, the whole community, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now we're going to stop there. We're going to work our way through these 18 verses, and we're going to extract some things, okay? But it sets the tone for what's going to be taking place over the next few verses right here. We kind of get an inside look, don't we, Greg, of the mental state of the children of Israel in regards to their response, not just a mental state, but a spiritual state in regards to their response towards Moses and Aaron, and in so doing against God. Let's pray, and we'll work our way through the Scripture. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless my brothers and sisters who have gathered here on this rainy morning to seek from you guidance in their life, to to come into a place of corporate worship, to bless you, to participate in the koinia, the fellowship of, of, of the gathering together, to be an encouragement one to another, to love one another, to draw strength from one another. But Father, collectively we have come uh, and, and we, we uh, literally focus our worship and direct it towards you. And we know, Father, when our hearts and our minds are fixed on you, it creates an atmosphere for you to express yourself to each individual here as well as the collective group. So, Father, we worship you this morning. We bless you this morning. And we need you to speak to us through your word for our benefit and to the benefit of the kingdom. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask this. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay. Let's look, let's look back. Uh, I think he's got uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, let's go back to, yeah, you can see it says 1 through 3, but it, it shows right there just the first two verses. But let's look at this. This is what the scripture says. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Some of your translations will pronounce that Zin, Z-I-N. So I don't want you to immediately, as we open up this scripture, I don't want you to think that uh, uh, Moses and the children of Israel have found themselves in Sin City, Las Vegas, in the desert. That's not what this is right here. Actually, the, the Hebrew would, uh, the, the, the rendering of that word would be the word, it would be more uh, closer to Zen. And some translations will actually render it like that. So there's not any application, uh, a real application, uh, in reference to calling this the desert of sin. So I, I don't want you to get caught in that and say, okay, let's sit right here and talk about all the sin that took place in the desert. That's not really what it's alluding to there. And so I want to kind of get us by that right off the bat and kind of move forward, okay? It says, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Now this is the 15th day of the second month. Now one of the things you've got to remember is at this point, they're just over a month removed from Egypt. A month. Because if you go back, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was established on the 14th day of the first month. That was the day in which they leave Egypt. So the 14th day of the first month to the 15th day of the second month, that's that's basically one month, one day. That's the amount of time that has actually uh, uh, taken place here. We are basically one month removed from being delivered out of Egypt. Okay, everybody with me? I say that to say there are times in our lives where God is extremely active over short periods of time. As a matter of fact, I would think most of us would say over this month, God has been extremely active, right? 
We have seen the deliverance of the children of Israel. We have seen the parting of the Red Sea. We have seen the bitter water turn to wine. We have seen the pillar of fire, the pillar of uh, the cloud. We have seen all these things. And we're like, man, that's where I want to live. I want to live in that type of experience where God is doing so much. He's so active. But the reality is that isn't where most of us live. As a matter of fact, I don't know anyone that really lives there. And the reality isn't us walking from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. It's us handling our relationship with God in the mundane, everyday activities of life. And how do we do at work? How do we do at school? What's God doing in our everyday relationships, in our homes, relationships with our children, with our grandchildren, with our neighbors? God is still, even though he's not dramatically expressing himself with pillars of fire and pillars of cloud, parting Red Sea type experiences, God is still actively involved, Kevin, in these everyday activities of our life. If we're only thinking God is active when we can measure, see, or, 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 or at least perceive these grand activities, then we're deluding and downplaying the subtle hand of God in our everyday life. And so they are a month removed. A lot of things have happened. And that's where we find ourselves. One month removed from Egypt. And this is what the scripture says. And this speaks to the one month right here. What can happen in our hearts in one month. In 30 days. And the scripture says this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. The whole community. When you go back to the previous chapter, when they were complaining against Moses regarding the water, it, say, it says basically, so the people. Well, when you read this, it almost takes it to a heightened level, almost as though something has begun to spread throughout the community. It implies that there isn't anyone absent of grumbling. Everyone. The scripture says the whole community. The whole community. Right? I would say to you guys, and you know this to be true. You've lived this out. I'm not, I'm not divulging any great revelations to you. But let me say this to you guys. Complaining is contagious. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know this? Man, you can take a complainer and you can drop them in the middle of 15 people that are ultra positive. And before you know it, man, it's like a bad apple, Jack. I mean, that thing will spread. And before you know it, the second person's complaining, the third person's complaining, the fourth person's complaining. And before you realize it, everyone is complaining. And that is what I can imagine the first person. Who starts to complain? Then the second, then the, and, and and then sometimes people's complaints will you you identify with uh, people's complaints, and then all of a sudden it is kind of just pulled out of you, something that wasn't readily there and available. Man, you've identified with their complaining spirit or nature, and and you have actually dug into yourself and said, you know what, I'm gonna find something to complain about too. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so now the scripture says the whole community. The whole community is grumbling against Moses and against Aaron. I remember, and I'll, and I'll say this. I remember when uh, a couple years ago when the whole COVID thing kind of began to break out here at the church in our communities and whatnot. I remember us coming to church that Sunday, uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, it, was, it was pushing into Christmas season. It was around the 1st of November. That's when we do Christmas at our house. We are hanging Christmas lights. First week of November. Hanging Christmas lights. Clark Evans comes in. He's not feeling too good. You ain't getting out hanging Christmas lights. So he's out there hanging Christmas lights. We're all out there hanging Christmas lights. The next morning we get up to come to church. Carrie, who is resistant about everything, she's got the immune system of Superman. I mean, she just don't get sick. And uh, she was saying, I, I don't feel too good. And I, I said, okay. And we, we get home from church. We're, we're not really recognizing what it, what it might be. Uh, and then the next morning I get up to go to work. 
And, and I have what, what many of you would consider the onset of the, the old man flu. You know, you know what I'm talking You're feeling a little bad, but you're a man, so you don't really know if it's bad or not. You know, you can't really tell a woman because a woman looks at you like, oh, come on. I give birth to babies. No, that's what they always say to you, right? Yeah. Hey, try, no, it doesn't matter how sick you are. You can be lay, you can be, you can be thrown, you can be bleeding from the eyes, every oracle in your body, and a woman will look at you and say, have you ever given birth? You're like, no, but I'm bleeding to death. You know, and they'll just discount, they'll just, just backhand, it's just a backhand, pow. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so I don't know, maybe I'm sick, maybe I'm not sick, I'm not going to tell her, so I go on to work, we're going through the check stations for all those things, and, and they say to me, said, uh, there's, you know, some temperature issues, you know, set you aside, send you home, uh, end up getting tested, I had COVID, okay, everyone had COVID, then Taylor got COVID, Derek got COVID, Kim Dennis had COVID, and all of a sudden we had COVID everywhere, right, y'all remember this, and uh, because it was very contagious. We were living in close quarters. Each and every one of us are carriers. Carriers. We are carriers of something. We're either going to be carriers of complaining and grumbling, carriers of encouragement, carriers of life. But I'm telling you this, whatever you're a carrier of, you're going to expose someone to that. Not only will you expose them to it, Michael, you will infect them with it. And there is nothing more disheartening when you realize a negative trait in which you're a carrier of has been exposed or your children have been exposed to it and they begin to produce in like manner that same viral condition that rests in your spirit and your mind and then the complaining or whatever negative component you have at work in your life, you see it in your children's life and in that moment it becomes real. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what's happening here. The entire community of Israel begin to grumble against Moses and now against Aaron. Go back a chapter, it was directed just at Moses. But Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. Remember, his mouthpiece for God. And so now they're directing the, it's escalated to the point that it's not enough to take shots at Moses. Now we're going to take shots at Aaron too. Right? And then the scripture says this. The Israelites said to them, check this out, man. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Mm. Now listen to this craziness. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I love the fact how they're romanticizing their experience in Egypt. You know what I'm talking about? This whole revisual history. And there are times when the enemy was going to come to you. And let me just say this to you too to encourage you to be, to be alert. The enemy's going to come to you and he's going to say to you, you know, things really wasn't that bad when you didn't know Jesus. You know, you had a whole lot of fun before Jesus. You know, there, there were some things that, your life really wasn't, wasn't that dark before Jesus. And all of a sudden, if you're willing to listen, if you're willing to entertain those thoughts, you begin thinking about things prior to Jesus. What you forget about, because you're now applying this kind of revisual history uh, a notion, what you forget about is the brokenness that brought you to Jesus to begin with. When you had all those things, you were doing all those things, you were involved in all those things, and it left you empty and broken, and that brought you to Christ before. But he doesn't remind you of the brokenness that was generated by all those things. It's always the entertainment. It's always the joy. It's always the meat. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're saying right here, the pots of, that's all he wants you to remember, is the pots of meat. And we ate all the food. It was so good back in Egypt. Have you forgotten the beatings? Have you forgotten the hard labor? The difficult taskmasters? Have you forgotten? All they remembered was the pots of meat and all the food. They had to consume. And there are times in our lives, in that practice of revisual history, that we will twist our experience and our past to justify our current condition and to justify 
our current complaining and grumbling, right? You know, when I talk to people and whatnot, and they'll tell me they got an offense against a certain individual, an offense against this, that, or another. And they'll express what it is, and half the time they can't even really encapsulate what it is. And in their minds, that small offense, that infraction, that was almost beyond even being measured, it's ridiculous and silly, in their minds, they can't even encapsulate it, measure it, or explain it. But in their heart and their minds, all they remember is how big it was. I remember how it made me feel. I remember how, how, how it wounded me. And I said, well, what was it? And they're like, I can't remember, but it hurt. And because it hurt, even though I can't remember how it hurt, because it did hurt, that's the reason I'm the way I am right now. You know what I'm talking about? And here they are looking back, rethinking the way things were, and saying, considering that which wasn't real, considering this that is my present, now let me complain. And it's all in smoke and mirrors. It's not even valid. It's not even real. Their complaints are 100% unjustified. And yet they're complaining because they're rethinking a condition that was never actually real. And there are times that you and I have got to consider, Angela, we, do, we have to consider. We have to ask ourselves, man, is there any merit to really, is there any real merit to my position? This hostile posture I have towards Kevin Cappell, is there any real merit to that? Or is it just an issue with me? Because it's so much easier to project our internal issues out there and blame someone and hope and desire someone else to own that instead of us owning ourselves and dealing with it. Let's, let's move forward. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Now this is important. This is important right here. God responds without them crying out to God. They were, they were not crying out to God. They were crying out against God. And yet God responds to them. And this is what the scripture says. I will rain down bread from heaven. This is what God refers to his provision as. Now we'll look back on this in chapter, or verse 15. Remember, he refers to it as bread from heaven. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow me or follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Now, here's the incredible thing right here. God hears not their prayers for, to him, but against him. He hears their complaining. That's what the scripture is going to say this. And so he says, I'm going to provide for these complainers. Now, I'm going to be real transparent. Every person in this sanctuary needs to say, thank God that we serve a God who still provides for complainers. <laughs> you know why? You Because know, <laughs> we all have a tendency to complain. Thank God our complaints don't cut God off. Now, he may deal with us in a manner that is needed, but praise God, praise God, Monica, that he doesn't cut us off because we're complainers. Right? He provides this, but he says something to them. He says the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. God provides for our daily needs, but he requires us to gather it. Here's my question. Are you gathering? Are you gathering? Listen, my, my wife has two hanging plants on her front porch. And you guys know the story. I, I go out there and I water the plants as needed or as directed. You know. And, and uh, uh, I, I took one of the, uh, the flowers down. I went to water and I saw a little bird's nest in there, Timmy. And so I knew there was a busy mama at work. And so 
Who said that? Oh. Okay, okay, okay. I got that group with us today. All right. All right. So I, I, go, I go back the next day as directed, and, and uh, uh, I still see the nest. And then one day I go out there uh, to water, and there's like three or four little eggs. <laughs> next day I go out there, and they're boiled. Okay, now next day I go out there. So I'm being careful as I water these plants. And then I do go back. I take the plant down, and there's three or four little small birds chirping. <laughs> and, I, and I say to myself, oh. <laughs> and I hang the, the plant back up. And as the birds grow a little bit, they begin to get on my nerves because they're right outside my door. And you can hear them chirping. You know, they're, they're, they're hungry. They're hungry. They can't feed themselves in that sense. They can't go out and gather. And lo and behold, from time to time you look up and you'll see the mother in the flower, in the pot. And you know what she's doing? She's literally, if you'll allow me to use the phrase, hand feeding these small chicks, these small birds. From beak to beak. What God isn't going to do for you, he isn't going to hand feed you. He's not going to hand feed me. He has called us to gather what God has provided. Sometimes gathering means prayer. Have you gathered the strength of God through praying? It's out there. Sometimes it's through his word. Are we going out daily, the daily substance that he's provided for them? God provides for you and I. Are we going out there and gathering? Are we going out there because he's provided an opportunity for us to connect in fellowship, connect in service? Are we gathering these opportunities? When we don't gather those opportunities, why are we then shocked that we are so malnourished spiritually? When God is saying, Greg, here, I give this to you. Come and dine. Come and gather. And we sit there like we go chicks. And we say into heaven, speaking, feed me. It's too weighty a spiritual discipline to get up and read, to get up and pray, to get up and serve, to get up and connect. I just want to sit here with my mouth wide open and I want you to feed me. And you know the crazy thing is, it's like them crazy Snickers commercials. The hangry, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're not yourself when you're hungry. You know those, you've seen those commercials. The crazy thing about it is everyone else recognizes how hangry we are in the spirit before we even recognize it. You know when you've been around people, you're like, man, you ain't been gathering. Oh, I can tell. You guys know it. You think Carrie don't get up some morning, some afternoons, come home from work, I'm frustrated with this, that, or another. And she's like, you been gathering today? And I'm like, <laughs> everyone else sees it. They recognize it. God's provided it. You have no excuse. None of us have an excuse. They were all directed to gather. The whole assembly. And God has laid before us a buffet of spiritual nourishment. And we're sitting back with our hands tucked behind our backs saying, feed me, God. And God has said, I've given you everything. You need for spiritual vibrance, health. You can't even eat it. You won't eat it. You won't gather it. And so there's a part of that that rests on you and me. A huge part of it. Your wife can't gather for you. Your husband can't gather for you. 
Your children can't gather for you, nor can you gather for them. But you know what you can do as a mother and a father? You can show them how to gather. What ends up happening is when we don't exercise gathering, they'll never be taught how to gather. And you don't want that responsibility falling on another person to teach your children how to gather. That's your responsibility, Mom and Dad. It's your responsibility. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. God has directed Moses. Moses is speaking here. And Aaron. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Listen to this. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. I told Carrie when I read that this week, man, it just crushed me. It says that five times in this chapter that God has heard your grumbling against him. That says a couple things to me. One being is God does hear our prayers. He hears us. But it isn't always just the positive things that he hears. What about that notion that the biblical God that we study each week who's provided so much for us, who has sacrificed sacrificed so much for us, that at some juncture in our life, at places, intersections in our life, we don't cry out to him, but we cry out against him. Our grumbling against God aligns us with the very adversary of our soul, who who he himself makes charges against God. And we find ourselves in the company of the adversary taking his posture and his position and we grumble against him. What a notion. Gee. And then God says through Moses and Aaron to the children of Israel, God has heard you. God has heard you grumbling. And then this is what he says. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, you think you're grumbling, but it's not us. And God has said it. It's him. Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. Because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us but against the Lord. He says it again. This reiterating of this reality and this truth should be driving home a principle that we should be cautious about our words directed against the one who loves us best. As a mother and a father, and you guys will identify with this, There's probably nothing more wounding in your heart, Frankie, than if your children challenge or bring into question your love for them. And they grumble against you, your efforts and your motives. That the ones that you had poured your very being into, to nourish, to raise, to protect, and they grumble against you. Nothing more wounding as a parent than to have something like that take place. I like when Moses says, who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. I love the fact that he disengages from the responsibility of being God to them. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) He literally says, hey man, I'm not God and I'm not responsible for providing for you either. And I'm telling you, there's something light in that. And, and for you and I, let me just say this to encourage you guys. There needs to be times in your life that you unload uh, 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 this, this uh, uh, notion of, of being God in people's lives. You know what I'm talking about? 
That's a heavy load. And what Moses is saying right here to these cats, I ain't doing the heavy lifting. I'm not doing the God lifting. And when we understand, when we understand that we're not God and responsible for everything in everyone's life, life can be lived a little lighter. It doesn't remove them from the responsibility and engagement of the true God. As a matter of fact, it reaffirms that. And you're saying to them, don't look to me, look to God. And that's what Moses, Moses said, oh, you, you can complain against us, but man, who are, well, I'm just a man. I'm a voice piece. That's, I can't feed you. I can't answer this. And there's times you and I need to do that too. Leaves God, leave God's job to God, right? Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community. Now this is the same word used for whole in, in the Hebrew. It's the word kol. And it means everyone. Everyone. And he says right here, to all. Say to the Israelite community. This is what he's saying to everyone. Come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. No one escapes that. Stinger. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Now, their grumbling is taking place. We alluded to it last week where the very presence of God resided with them. It's like coming into the church and the Shekinah, the Kabod glory of God is resting. And the only thing we have in our hearts and our minds is to point out where we feel God has let us down. And to have the audacity to speak like this against God while His very presence resides with them is unimaginable. Yet they do it. And I've done it. And you've done it. There was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, again, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. Clark comes to me. Clark says to me, Dad, I don't like the way you do things at the house. I don't like the way you run things at the house. I don't like your rules and your regulations. I look at Clark and I say, <laughs> right? Good luck, my son. Be blessed in your endeavors to live on your own. That's Trent, that's Mike, that's Kevin. That's you moms too. But it isn't God. It's not. Jeremiah, it's not God, is it? He says to them, at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. And you know what's happening right here? There's been no repentance of the complaining and the bickering and the grumbling. And he says, I'll still give you meat and I'll still give you bread, Carl. This is God's grace absolutely demonstrated. Literally, the church should shout when God's grace is poured into our lives out of the abundance of his love for us and not in response to our activities. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When, this is verse 15 I alluded to earlier. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? 
What is it? The Hebrew word is where they derive the term manna. And you know what it means? It means a whatness. A whatness. Remember what God called it, Jay? Bread from heaven. You know what they called it? Whatness. What, what is this? I don't know what it is. I don't, I, can't, I don't recognize it. I had in mind pots of meat. What is this stuff? What is it? Because they couldn't recognize it. And that's how we respond sometimes. Greg, you know, man. God doesn't do it the way we want it done, Gabe. And we're like, what? What? What is this? I was praying. I, w- I was praying for a BMW. I don't want to drive a Yugo. I don't want to drive. I don't want to drive a, a, a nineteen ninety two Cavalier. What? We look at God's provision. A whatness. What is it? Because we don't recognize it as provision. The very thing God called bread from heaven, they called manna or what is it? In John chapter 6, this is kind of a response Jesus got from the Pharisees and such. This is what it says in verse 41 and 42. It says this, At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the bread from heaven, Jesus says this. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, you know what they're really saying? What is this he's saying? What is this that he's saying, I came down from heaven? They didn't recognize him. The Hebrews didn't recognize the provision of God. And it's incumbent upon you and I to have our spiritual eyes open that we recognize the provision of God even when it comes in a form that isn't what we had anticipated or expected. That we can recognize it for what it is, bread from heaven, even when it looks like whiteness. And we can have an appreciative heart and respond to God accordingly. There's nothing more more beautiful than when a person gets the whiteness and they identify it as the bread of heaven. When everyone around them says, God just gave you whiteness. And you're saying, oh no, that's not whiteness. That's bread from heaven. Oh God, give me a heart, vision, a spirit that recognizes the whiteness at your hands to be bread from heaven. That I might not miss it. That my gratitude may not be lost in the unknown things but that I would possess a gratitude towards God even when he meets my needs in manner in which I didn't anticipate it. Okay, let's... Let's close real quick, okay? Let's do this. For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, it is manna. It is whatness. That's not what Moses says. It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat, to consume, to benefit from, to meet your needs, to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Each person God supplies enough for. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed And each person goes out and they have to be able to assess to what degree their need is. 
to what degree their need is. The word needed in Hebrew, kosar, means lack. So when it says they gathered as much as they needed, they gathered as much as their lack. And what you and I have to do, spiritually speaking, when we're coming to God and we're gathering what God has provided, and you're at that table and you're in God's Word, man, a verse may be enough for one dude. A half a chapter may be enough for another. But man, you've got to be able to measure your lack. And you may have to sit there for hours consuming. Only you know what your lack is. You can't eat based on my lack. Nor can I eat based on your lack. I must be able to understand. I must be able to understand and assess my own lack. It's not enough for me to eat Kevin's meal. Nor is it enough for Kevin to eat my meal. His life may be different than mine. Mine may be different than his. But the one thing that I do know is that God provides for each one of us according to our lack. And there may be days where the lack is different. But Mike, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest, not just with God, because God knows. You've got to be honest with yourself, Dwayne, you know? You've got to ask yourself. What is my lack? What is my need? And when you come to gather, you have to know it. You have to know it. Because you know what I'm about to tell you to be true. You ever found yourself going through the motions? You know what I mean, Darcy? Well, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I always read. And this is what I always read. Six o'clock in the morning, I always pray. And this is how long I always pray. Before you know it, man, we're just going through the motions and we're never assessing the lack. And we get up from gathering and we haven't gathered enough. And we leave gathering with just as much lack. Why am I not strong enough today? Why am I not strong enough today? I was in the Word. Oh, but you didn't know your lack, Jay. You were eating for the lack of your wife. You were eating for the lack of your neighbor. You got to know your lack. And that's where we're going to close today. We're going to pick this up, this chapter up next week. But I want you guys, Drew, I want you to ask yourself, brother. Not what, what is Grace's lack. Not what is Luis's lack. What's your lack? Tim, you got to ask what's your lack. Jeff, it's not your wife's lack. It's your lack. It goes for Dennis and Jay and Otis and, and Billy. I can go through Tim. All of us, every man in there, every woman in here. You've got to ask yourself that. And so what I want to present to you today is in light of the consideration of your own lack. What God is saying, and we're going to give you the opportunity this morning to respond, what God is saying is now is the appropriate time for you to gather. Now is the appropriate time for you to gather. So we're going to open the altars. I want to ask you to stand. Please do. And in this moment, in this moment, Understanding what your lack is, being honest with yourself.
going to give you that opportunity to respond to him, not, not to me. I'm like, Moses, who am I? I can't, I can't feed you. I don't know your lack. I don't know what degree it is. It's hard enough, Gabe, for me to be able to assess my own lack. Honestly assess my own lack. And gather for myself at times. Much less to be able to look out there and identify the lack in every other person. And say, this is how much you need. You know how much you need. And God's provided that. So Clark's going to play something. We're going to open the other. We're going to give you a minute. We're going to give you a minute. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to ask God, what is my life this morning? What is it? Don't look to your neighbor. You've got on the left, your right. I'd ask God, what is my lack? Even better, how much is my lack? Because you all have lack. We all have it. And God has provided it. God has provided it this morning. So what we're going to do, the, the altars are open. The altars are open. Would you respond to him, not me, but to him this morning? In the name of Jesus. Jesus.